This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Okay. Can, can I confess? Church is where we confess, right? I have a few nerves. I'm never nervous before I speak, but I had a few nerves today, and I realized I haven't actually spoken to a live audience in more than a year other than my wife. I won't tell you how the preaching goes in that context. But it's so good to see all of you. And hey, no matter where you're viewing from, uh, it's good to see you. And the overwhelming message that I would give to all of you is that we at this church have a deep love for you. Even if you're viewing online from halfway around the world, we might not know you, but we already love you. Because we have a deep love in our heart for every single person who walks the face of this planet. And so our agenda today is simply to be for you. And the leader in all of that is Jesus because... He was and remains always for us. It's never about what we can do for Him. It's always about what He wants to do for us, in us, through us, to make the world a better place. So we're in this teaching series called A New Way to Be Human. And that's really what Jesus was all about. It's why he left heaven. It's why he came to earth. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But what was always on Jesus' mind was what you and I might call a new humanity. It was, it was showing us how to live life as it was always intended to be, not as it usually turns out to be. In our world. And I suppose if there was ever a time when this message would be needed more, I can't think of a time when it's needed more than right now. As we sit as at uh, somewhat the end of this pandemic and are trying to figure our way how to emerge out of it without making more people sick and without keeping people needlessly confined. Um, no one has all the answers, I can tell you that for sure. But there's a new way of living that enables us to, f- to have freedom and joy. And it enables us to have deep love for those around us and to be gracious to them. And in Jesus' most famous and most often quoted teaching called the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began at the beginning of his ministry to take the wraps off of what this new humanity might look like. And so we're working our way through that teaching. And and we are learning several things that Jesus is saying to us about this new humanity. And I think it's not ironic or coincidental that the invitation that Jesus gave most often, and he gave it time and time and time again, and he actually still extends that invitation to you and me today, his most common invitation had only two words in it. And these were the words, follow me. 
I'm reminded of an epitaph I, I saw on a, on a tombstone in New England when I was a child. And it had a very poignant message. It said, friend, as I am now, you soon will be. Prepare in death to follow me. That was really thought-provoking, but there was a little note taped to, to that tombstone that somebody had just put on there. I went up and read it, and here was the message. Dear friend, to follow you I'll not consent until I know which way you went. You know, of all the things that you want to do in life, listen to me carefully, of all the things that you want to do in life, you want to choose your thought leaders carefully. Because they are, the, they are the people who will give shape to your life. So where would Jesus lead us? Well, I was in Oklahoma City, not this week, but the week before. And it just so happened on April the 19th, we were in Oklahoma City at the very site on the 26th anniversary of the Oklahoma City bombing of the Murrah Federal Building, we were actually sitting on that site. And it's now a memorial. 168 people died there. 680 people got injured there. And I decided to go back and reread the story of the Oklahoma City bombing and Timothy McVeigh and so forth. And I just want to tell you, not that you would do anything like that. But Timothy McVeigh, his whole life could have changed if he would have chosen different thought leaders. He chose the wrong ones and they made a wreck of his life and roughly 170 other families as well. So where would Jesus lead us? Well, Jesus would lead us to wonderful places. If Jesus is going to be the thought leader of our life, maybe we would do good to let him comment on where he's taking us. Jesus said, I have come. When he said, I have come, it doesn't mean I've come from indoors to outdoors. It means I have come from heaven to earth. I left heaven where I sat on the throne of heaven and life was great. And I chose to take on a human body and to come and live on this earth. And I did it all for this reason that whoever follows me, whoever chooses to make me the thought leader of their life, that they could have real life and have it to the absolute fullest extent. And when Jesus said, follow me, that's what he was inviting us to. That we could have that kind of life. Now, a decade or two later, one of the guys who took Jesus up on that and decided to make Jesus his thought, his thought leader and to follow Jesus with his life wrote an observation about his own life and about the lives of people that he had worked with who had also chosen to make Jesus their thought leader. And he penned these words. His name is Paul. And he said, Anyone who...
who is in Jesus is a new person. This is that new humanity that Jesus talked about. This is that new way to be human that Jesus talked about. And Paul said, I see it everywhere. I see it in my own life. I see it in the lives of of people who have followed Jesus, who like a poker player have pushed all their chips to the center of the table and they're all in with Jesus. He said, anyone who follows Jesus, it's like they're a brand new person. The old life, it's all gone away. Now Jesus invites you and he invites me to this beautiful and wonderful way of life where whatever bondage we have on the inside gets transformed, chains get cut. We sang about it today, this morning, where we get liberated and set free from whatever would entangle us. There's a freedom, there's an excitement, there's a fulfillment that Jesus offers that you and I can't get anywhere else and he did not want us to miss it. So this morning, we get to deal with one of the realities that Jesus knew. That perhaps nothing in our lives creates as much bondage as money. And Jesus knew, if I don't ever deal with with our relationship with money, I can't ever lead people into a place of real freedom. So Jesus teaches us about money, and I'm going to do that this morning. But I want to say a couple things before we begin, okay? This is not a message that's designed to help you give more money to the church. So if that's what you're thinking, you can just relax and set that aside. This is not a message to teach you about all the evils of money. You can set that aside as well. Jesus came to give us a brand new relationship with money, one that transforms the natural bondage that money holds over us and transform it into an actual place of blessing. So whatever money comes into our life has the ability to bless us, not control us, and it has the ability to bless the other people in our world. So Jesus didn't come to deliver us from money. He didn't come to take our money. He didn't come to teach us that money is evil. He simply came to bring freedom where there has been bondage. So, let's do something fun. Complete this statement while Sean chases his water bottle. Here we go. Are you ready? I want you to say it out loud. It's all about the... Man, that was thundering. It's all about the what? Money, yes. It's just about the money, yes. In the end, it all comes down to the money, yes. It's all driven by the money. Huh. Now, we all know those statements, and perhaps we've all said them. If we hadn't before, we just did. You know what's amazing about that? Never in my life have I ever heard a single person, including myself, ever say any of those statements about ourselves. 
I've never had anyone say to me, you know with me, it's all about the money. I don't give a rip about anything else. It's all about the money. Oh, we would never say that. But we feel free to say that about other people because we realize that money has tremendous power and control in our world and yet somehow we think that that doesn't hold true to us. I'm not here to make us feel guilty. I just want to posture a question. Could it be that money has more control over us than we realize and that we look to other people pretty much like they look to us? And if that's possible, then maybe what Jesus has to say about money will be really good for us. Because it will help address those areas where money has a hold on us that we don't even realize. So, what did Jesus have to say about money? Here it is. Let me read it to you. Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount, don't store treasures for yourselves here on earth where moths and rust will destroy them, and thieves can break in and steal them. But store your treasures in heaven where they cannot be destroyed by moths or rust, and where thieves cannot break in and steal them. And then he ended this little tidbit by saying, your heart will always be where your treasure is. Now if you've been to church throughout your life, you probably heard that statement by Jesus more than once. As I sat with that statement and was processing it with God, one of the first questions that God asked me is, Ron, what's a treasure? I have to confess, I kind of thought of treasure as, you know, gold coins in a treasure chest, right? That was sort of the, the picture I had in my mind. It was, you know money and gold and things that I would really value and I store them away in a chest and hopefully nobody gets to find it but me. And God began to query me with a question. Ron, what if treasure isn't what you put in a box and hope that no one finds, but what if treasure is really whatever in your life you can't let go of? And in that sense, you hang on to it and treasure it. And even though Jesus was primarily talking about money in this passage, I want to expand that principle for us because there also could be bondage in other areas of our life based upon what we treasure in the, in the sense that we can't let go of it. For instance, what if you were raised by parents who were deeply and constantly critical and the tape, the tape of their voices continually plays in the back of our mind and it drives us toward perfectionism or it eats away at our sense of self-worth. Whatever you can't let go of and if you don't let go of that voice, it will shape your life. Because whatever it is you're hanging on to, 
that's where your heart will be and that's what will shape your life. So now Jesus' primary application was, was about money. And He came to show us that if we could release the position that we naturally hold money in in our life, and we could have a new relationship with money, and in that sense, we could let go of this thing that has tended to, to put a hold on us, that we would find a whole new freedom. So He invites us into a vibrant and life-giving relationship with money. I'll bet you never thought you'd hear that at church. But it's true. It's easy to think money is God or money is evil, and Jesus didn't buy either one. Money's just money. Wealth is just wealth. Things are just things. It's what they do to us that determines whether it's bondage or freedom. So deliverance begins with an understanding. It begins with an understanding that the problem does not lie with money. The problem actually is in the perspective of our heart toward money. And Jesus illustrates this with two great word pictures. And the first word picture he uses is the word store. As I worked my way through this teaching, I realized that all of us have a little hoarder inside us. Even those of you who throw away stuff all the time, we all have a little hoarder in there, and there are certain things that if I were to come to your house and I were to take them, you would say, you can't take that. That's not for sale. I won't release that. There are other things that I could take. You. Yeah, I was going to throw it away anyway. But there, there's... There's something inside us. If you don't believe me, you never had a two... Those of you who are parents, I can tell you one word you never had to teach a two-year-old or a child of any age. And that's the word mine. It's all in there. It's born in there. And we've all seen kids hoarding toys from other kids so they can't play with them, but they can't play with the toy now either because they're too busy hoarding to play. In some sense of the word, many times we don't ever grow out of that. It's that insidious control that money kind of naturally has over us. And Jesus knew that when we hoard, it colors our soul and the picture is never pretty. So he says, be careful of that storing thing. Now the second word he uses for a word picture is the human eye. I don't read to you exactly what Jesus said about the human eye. He said the eye is the light for the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are evil... Your whole body will be full of darkness. Now listen to this. And if the only light in you is actually darkness, then you have the worst form of darkness possible. Hmm. 
We often say this, the eye is the window to the soul. And what happens if you look into a person's eyes and all you see is darkness? What happens if, if you were to hold money in front of someone and they were to look at it and all it translated to was bondage in them? Then the money is no longer a source of blessing or help or hope or light or goodness or grace. Any of those wonderful things, it simply becomes a tool by which we can be controlled. How do I know Jesus was actually talking about bondage when he was talking about darkness? Let me read you the very next verse. This is what Jesus said. No one can serve two masters. That sounds like bondage, doesn't it? Either he will hate one master and love the other. He'll follow one master and not follow the other. And then listen to what Jesus said. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus recognized that the two most powerful forces in our lives that exercise control over us are God and money. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. That's the power that money naturally has over us. And I can sit here and deny it. Or I can recognize that I was born a human being and Jesus is talking to me. And he's saying, Ron, do you realize that it's either me or money that's actually going to control your life? He's saying to me, Ron, money has way more control over you than you think. It's not that money's bad. It could be an amazing thing. By the way, God created money. Did you know that? That was his idea. It's not bad. Could be wonderful. So how can Jesus deliver us from the bondage of money? Well, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. We're going to look at a couple of historical truths, and we're going to close with some stories. Here's the first passage where Jesus begins to take the wraps off of how we can be delivered from the natural power that money has. Jesus says, give... And it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It will be poured into your life. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I don't have time to really get into the depths of that. But I want to start out by, by clarifying something. that If you've turned on your TV and you've heard a health and wealth uh, gospel guy on the TV saying send me your seed money and God will bless you and he'll multiply it ten times over so if you send me a hundred bucks God will give you a thousand you send me a thousand bucks God will give you ten thousand because I mean Jesus said give and it'll be given to you so the idea that's put out there is give in order to receive can I just tell you Jesus didn't say that he didn't teach that that's not a good motive to give I can't find somebody in our community and say, you know what? I really need a thousand bucks, so I'm going to give away a hundred bucks, and God is now obligated to give me a thousand. Nope, it's not give in order to receive. It's not give so that you can receive. Here's what Jesus said If you have faith in me, 
You give to the causes that are closest to my heart and I will make sure you have what you need. And I can tell you by observation in life, when I give and I give generously with no strings attached, I generally end up with more than I need. Okay? Look at me. Am I starving? No, I have more than I need. Okay? I know some of us don't want to laugh at that. Okay? But that's true. We all have more than we need, virtually all of us. Secondly, when we give, oftentimes we get back more than we gave. I'll talk about that in a little bit. It almost always comes back in a different form. It's not like I give 10 bucks and I get 50 or 100 back. And it, when I give with no strings attached, it always makes my life richer and the person or people I gave it to makes their life richer too. So what is Jesus really saying? Principle number one in being delivered from the natural control of money is to become a giver, not just a getter. It's to literally become a giver. If you set your heart on giving, you'll be delivered from the control of money. If you set your heart on storing and gathering, and protecting. Money will have all sorts of control over you no matter how much you get. You can't be delivered from the control of money without in your heart becoming a giver. And not just giving 10%. So you've done your obligation and God now has to bless you because in your heart you're still not a giver then. You're a negotiator. No, to become a giver is what actually brings the freedom. Now, Jesus also said this. He said, seek the kingdom of God first. And this is the second principle. And learn to live righteously. Think, learn to live like Jesus lived. And all the things that people run after will be added to your life. So freedom principle number two is this. Make God's kingdom and the causes closest to his heart the center of your heart. And you say, Pastor, how do I know what the causes are that are closest to his heart? There are three. And in this priority order, the cause closest to the heart of Jesus is the sharing of the good news of Jesus to the entire world. That is the cause that is closest to the heart of Jesus. Cause number two is bringing justice to the oppressed and the marginalized. You can read the scripture from start to finish and you will find that that is a cause very near and dear to God's heart. It was one of the reasons that Jesus came. Thank you. Cause number three is relieving the suffering of of humanity. Those are the three causes closest to Christ's heart. That's what his heart beats around. And if we will put those causes first, the spreading of the gospel to the entire world, 
bringing justice to the marginalized and the oppressed, and relieving the suffering of humanity. We will be marching in lockstep with Jesus. Here's the, here's the first historical truth. Did you know that God has always used people who have significant means to be the high-volume funders of the causes closest to his heart. I want to talk for just a minute to those of us who have significant means. And you can determine in your own heart, please don't succumb to the American thing, I'm broke, I'm next to broke. No. Many of us have significant means and way more than we need to survive. Do you realize throughout history, Jesus has used people like you and me to fund the great causes that actually make a difference in the world. It's always been true. Always will be. So if you've been blessed with more than you need, recognize the privileged position in which you sit, that you have an opportunity to partner with Jesus in ways that literally change the world. And I want to encourage you to wrestle with that. That would be so good for you. It's in that space that God will begin to bring deliverance in your heart and spirit from the natural control of money. Second principle is this. God has always used people with very meager means to set the standard for generosity for everybody else. Jesus sat by their treasury one day and a very, very poor widow came by and she had only two pennies to her name and she put them both in the temple treasury. How much difference do you think two pennies was going to make to the running of the temple? Next to none. But Jesus said to the people standing around, do you realize she gave more than everybody else? She set the standard for generosity. She took her poker chips and she went all in. She trusted me to that level. So do I know anyone who has personally done this sort of thing? Do I know anybody who's taken all the poker chips and pushed them to the center of the table and taken Jesus at his word? And if I do, how did it turn out for them? Well, I mentioned to you that 10 days ago or so, uh, we sat in Oklahoma City and we were at a leadership conference and at one of the lunches they brought up a guy and he looked pretty normal. Wasn't tall, dark and handsome, wasn't loud, was soft spoken. He wasn't even that good a speaker, just to be honest. I struggled to actually stay with him, but I will never forget his story. He told about the founding of his company as a Christian man. And he told about the principles that he had decided straight up, I said, about going all in. Okay, So in the founding of his company, he said, I'm going to give 10% of all the profits from my company to God. I'm going to give 10% of all of my personal income to God. 
I'm never going to open my business on Sunday because I want my employees to be able to go to church and meet with God. And I'm going to treat every one of my employees as if they were a child of God. And I'm not going to pay them minimum wages. And I'm not going to buy from sweat houses around the world. We're going to make this stuff right here. And we're going to pay above minimum wage to our lowest wage earners. That sound good? And then he told us about days that he was literally under his desk crying because he didn't know how he was going to meet payroll. But God began to prosper his company. And he did quite well and started giving more and more and more and more until eventually he was up to 10% of the profits and 50% of his income always and then other projects that he funded. And he said this, I found out it's impossible to outgive God. And then COVID hit, and all of his retail outlets had to close down, and he was back under the desk again, because the rent on his retail outlets was $40 million a month. And the payroll was $90 million a month. And he was determined not to lay off any of his employees unless he absolutely had to. Because why? He was going to treat his employees as the children of God. To this day, there are two very large corporations that I know of, and there might be more, but there are two that are never open on Sunday, and you know one of them. It's what? Chick-fil-A. Also owned by a deeply Christian family, the Cathay family. Well, this guy that was speaking to us was Daniel Green. And being the inquisitive guy I am, I got on my phone and I looked up his net worth. Are you ready for this? Oh, by the way, you want to know how COVID went? He said, we figured we were facing the worst year in the history of our company. But for whatever reason, as we close out our fiscal year, this is our best year ever. He's the CEO of Hobby Lobby. And his network, and it's still not open on Sundays. And are you ready for this? His net worth is three times what Donald Trump's is. Hmm. How did that turn out? Now, money has no control over that guy, obviously. Drives a normal car, wears normal clothes. You'd never pick him out of a crowd. But he would tell you, I am so blessed. I want to give you one more story as we close. I wish I had time for a third one, but I don't. Very often, I will share with you stories about where I struggle and don't do well. And if you've been in the church a long time, I've told you about bouts I've had with depression and lessons I've learned from God in times when I just wasn't in the best space that I could be and sometimes was just in a very dark space. But I want to share with you a story out of my life. It's a true story. And this was a time when I made a decision that's been a great decision.
I was 24 years of age, Monica and I had been married three and a half years. And I found myself sitting across the table at a restaurant from the number two guy in UPS. There's a long story about how I ended up there, but I'm sitting across the table from this very powerful person. And he knows that I have just given my two-week notice to UPS. I'm leaving the employee of UPS. We are moving to the ghetto of Portland, Oregon, and I'm going to become the pastor of a church in the ghetto that's going to pay me $500 a month with no benefits. And his job is to talk me out of that. I'll never forget what he said when we sat down. He said, Ron, I, I know what you're doing, and there's a part of me that's afraid because I don't want to be anywhere near when the lightning strikes. But I have to make you an offer from my company. And he began to divulge an offer from their company to move me into the management of UPS. And he offered me a signing bonus, and I just looked it up at what it would be in today's money. He offered me a signing bonus of $1.5 million. And the opportunity for me to retire within 15 years, fully vested in, in the retirement program of the company, and I would never have to work another day of my life after I was 39. I was just with some people the other day, and they had no idea that that was part of my story. And they said to me, Ron, I can't imagine the sacrifices you've made after 50 years in ministry. And they were so surprised at my answer. I said to them, you know what? Yes, I've worked long hours and done stuff, but I'm not sure I've actually sacrificed anything. They said, what? And I didn't tell them this story. But think with me for a minute. If I had a million and a half bucks, what would I do with it? Well, I'd move to one of the places that has the most beautiful weather possible. Hello. Like Sonoma County. I would buy a house in the country that's a beautiful little house. And I would build a wood shop next door and the deer would come through the yard and the quail would come through the yard and the wild turkeys would come through the yard. Guess where I live? Just outside of Petaluma on two acres of property with a portion of our family and the deer come through and the wild turkeys come through and we live in a beautiful little home and I have a wood shop right beside my house. What else would I do? Well, I'd travel. Well, through the goodness of God, I've been in all 50 states of our country, and many of them multiple times. I've seen the most beautiful sights in our country. I might travel around the world. I have been around the world multiple times and seen many of the wonders of the ancient world and many of the most beautiful sights. I want to tell you, on that day when I sat there and I turned down a million and a half dollars, I'm not sure I turned down anything. Do you get that? Jesus said, if you put me in my kingdom first, all the stuff that people run after, I'll make sure you get your share. As we close, I just want to invite you. Actually, Jesus invites you.
to a brand new relationship with money. Not one that will teach you not to manage your money, but one that will teach you to prioritize your money in a way that puts the causes of Christ first. And you'll manage it well because you recognize you want to be able to put his causes first. And in the process, whatever resources God brings into your life, you can receive them first and foremost as a blessing from him to be loved and enjoyed and then to be invested in the causes closest to his heart. And as you do, you will walk into a new relationship with money, a new way to be human, a new way, this new humanity, to be free from the control of anything but the wonderful, loving power of Jesus. The band is going to sing. My prayer is that this becomes a time when the needle of our lives is moved from bondage toward freedom. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you so much that you didn't let us just wander around and try to guess about what the relationship with money would be because you know how much it tends to control us and to shape our thoughts and our lives. Thank you for inviting us into something new, something exciting, something so freeing, and something that enables us to bless and be blessed. Would you give us faith to push all of our chips to the center of the table and to trust you? We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.